calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good people, this is Brad King. You are listening to the Downtown Rider Jam podcast. Still in Chicago, still in the amazing room. If I was not married, I would totally want to move in here. Coming up in just a minute, Dmitry Samarov, who is with Curbside Publishing. He was originally slated to be in the Downtown Rider's Jam, but as we will talk about, um, he decided not to. He is a I would say he's an introvert, but in that really compelling introvert way, and you all won't see this, so I'll tell you about it, he is hyper-aware of what's going on around him. He is, and I would not have known this had I not been married, had I not married someone who is, while extremely extroverted, um, is actually, I think, uh, far more introverted than people know. He was just taking in everything around him, the the buildings, the cars, the sort of ambiance around here. And it was one of those people who doesn't really make a lot of eye contact with you. And so, and we talked about this at the end of the discussion, I suspect that it's very off-putting to people, particularly people that uh, don't know artists or don't spend a lot of time with artists. Like, I, he, I pe- pegged him very quickly as a visual artist. Um or at least I assumed he was, just because of the way, the mannerisms in which he sort of moved through the world. Um, and he, it does, you know, you would you, you get that sense, and you all, you've met, talked to people like that before where you don't really know if they're listening to you or whatever, and I've been around that enough to, to, that I feel comfortable with it now. And so just to watch him interact with the world, and I had to remind myself as I would ask him questions to not jump in, because he's very thoughtful as he's taking in the ambiance and the questions and the, and the things that are around him. So there's a couple times that I, I started to jump in and had to pull myself back. 
And I'm so glad I did. Well, such a fascinating character. Uh, I totally understand. He would have hated being at the jam. It would have totally stressed him out. But he was so much fun to talk to and has one of those stories and lives that is nonlinear in the sense that how he got to where he's at, there's not like a, you would never draw that up from the beginning. You wouldn't say like, here are the steps. Very much somebody that seems to have carved out his own space in the world. And normally the ways in which he approached things would be a, a way that I wouldn't think about them. But because he hey, is a visual artist and because he came into writing through that, which is a fascinating story and one that, like, that just never happened. Like, you just rarely hear people say, like, oh, I was a painter, and that led me to writing. And they hear the story of how that happened makes complete sense. And I can't – He his book is on the list, and there's two books, were on the list. I was reading the authors that were coming to the jam, uh, and I'm totally getting my hands on his book. Now, because it just, as he kept saying, like, it's not a graphic novel. And when he describes it, it doesn't sound like a graphic novel. But there's not really antecedents for the kind of writing and the ways in which he talks about doing it. And yet, watching him interact in the world and seeing him take in the stimuli and environment around him, I have to see how this comes out in a book. I have to see how he makes sense of moments, because this is what I get the sense that his book is, is a, like, drawing out of a moment some narrative element. And it's just great. It's one of the best parts about this podcast is talking to people who approach writing in, in such different ways. And you begin, like, we when you're a kid, you think, like, oh, I'm a writer. Or I want to be a writer. Nobody thinks so. And so, like, you read Hemingway or, or, or whoever, and you think that's the job, right? You sit down, you write this sort of thing, and then it's a book or it's a magazine article or whatever it is. And coming across so many people that have approached this in different ways, Ben Panzer talked about writing 30 minutes a day, and Dimitri talks about um, the sort of visual nature of the story as it comes to him and the ways in which he incorporates that and pulls things like zines into his writing experience, which is just fucking brilliant. Um, so there's a few times that I jump on top of the question and I, and I pull myself back. Um, a moment where I get confused about uh, the country of the Soviet Union, but I feel like that's okay because that you know, um, it's just been a while since we referred to that as a country, but clearly that's what that is. Uh, and, and we spent a lot of time not liking Boston, and particularly drivers in Boston. Um, so I love you, all my friends in Boston. Um, I was an MIT guy, Cambridge, East Boston, I re and I didn't even take my car out there. And it was because I heard so many terrible things about driving. So there's a little bit of that, too. But this is maybe the most interesting discussion about writing that I've ever had because it was so much about not writing. It was so much about taking things in and understanding the process for which you make sense of things and how you can pull in different kinds of communication styles, particularly visual styles, um, all built around stories that he heard while he was a cab driver. Just fascinating shit. So I'm not going to set it up anymore. Make sure you go to the Geeky Press, sign up for our newsletter, 
You can find out about the Riders Jam Volume 3 uh, at geekypress.com backslash events. You will find um, everything that you need there. We'll be announcing dates and things like that in the future. Otherwise, here is my interview with Dimitri. All right, so we almost met at the jam. We did a few uh, weeks ago, uh, and then um, you are a reader, not a performer. So you decided that Correct. you were not. Yeah, so do. I wussed out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it's that. Like, it's really interesting because, um, the, in, at least in Indianapolis, one mm-hmm. of the things that we're trying to do is create this sort of diverse scene of reading. So we have. Um, there's a thing called Word Lab where actually mm. it's reading and then you do a workshop with the audience. Oh, okay. like, so we're looking for ways to be like interactive in lots sure. of different ways yeah. for authors. Um, so let's start with uh, where are you from? Are you from here? Uh, no, uh, originally from the Soviet Union. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, a country that no longer exists. Which one? The Soviet Union. Oh, the country. Yes. Yeah, so yes. I was thinking of the little the country no, now. No, I'm, yeah. I'm from Moscow, from the original. Russia, which is now Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the capital. And so when did you come to America? In 1978, to the Boston area, and my parents still live there. Really? Yes. So they. Ca- so what do your parents do? Uh, my, uh, my father's now retired, but he was a mathematician. He taught statistics and did research. Really? Uh, my mother was a doctor in the Soviet Union and now does alternative medicine. So uh, why did they come? Like, what brought them here? Uh, all the sort of cliche things like freedom. Uh, <laughs> uh, they got tired of lying every day of their lives, having a double life. Where was, you lead one with your family and another in the outside world. Was your dad? Was your dad a university professor there at the time? He had just started. I mean, they were uh, 30, so 30, 31 when they moved, so they were just starting their careers. My father had been teaching, I believe, for a few years by then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they were both at the beginning of their careers. And how old were you? I was seven. So you were. So you have some recollections of. Yes, I I did uh, a little bit more than half of first grade uh-huh. there. Uh, they had a different system where you started first grade at seven as opposed to six uh-huh. here, which actually impacted my life here because, well, they stuck me in second grade here, which they shouldn't have. They should have put me in third. So they cost me a year of my life. Yeah. Uh, still haven't forgiven the <laughs> Brookline, Massachusetts school system <laughs> yeah. for that. Well, the other reasoning was that I had no English, and they, uh, you know, I had to do uh, English as a second language, ESL. But by third grade, I knew every curse word. So at seven, you responded. So the playground worked. Yeah, something, something worked. Uh, yeah, I was a quick learner. So you, so uh, your parents, they came here. Did they have jobs, or were they just out? They just got a ticket and came here. No, uh, it's. Uh, it's incredibly precarious. I, I'm actually going – I'm talking to them a lot about it uh, lately because I'm sort of working up some sort of immigrant memoir thing mm-hmm. as a future project, yeah. writing project. But um, I hear immigration is a big thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's what this country is about. Yeah. Uh, whether most of the country wants to hear it or not, that's, <laughs> that's what this country is yeah, yeah. Uh, as opposed to most other countries. Yeah. You know, unless we go back to Native Americans, yeah, there's no original settlers, right? There's no claim uh, 
that any of these people that are screaming about immigration <laughs> can really make. That doesn't fit the narrative, though. So. <laughs> no. No, they don't want to hear that uh, just because, you know, their relatives that were here 100 years ago, <laughs> that they have some greater claim that somebody that had to sneak across the border yeah. to work uh, here. But that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so it was precarious. Uh, so they – Well, they... Uh, what you had to do uh, in the late 70s, uh, there was a deal uh, between America and the Soviet Union uh, to let a few, just a few thousand Jews out. It wasn't; it was just a trickle back then, in exchange, I believe, for grain. That that was the main thing. Yeah, you know, it was it was a it was a business deal, uh, and we were allowed out. We were very lucky, but there wasn't a huge community yet. Uh, so uh, my father had an older brother who was already in America, and he sponsored us. We went to Europe, first to Austria, and then to Italy, and waited, uh, applied for political asylum, and waited uh, to be allowed into America. Really? Yeah. That was, uh, did, did you say there was family here, or no? Yes. And yes. so is that, were they in Boston? Uh, in the Boston area, yes. So that was why Boston was a destination. Exactly. So that at least they didn't show up, sort of. No, not, uh, other, other people had other stories where communities took them in, yeah. sort of, and, uh, Gave them a home, gave them clothes. Yeah, uh, there was more uh, dire circumstances than ours. But uh, my father was lucky in that he actually applied for jobs from Italy and got a job in Cambridge, Massachusetts, at a small computer company. Oh. So there was a job once he got to America. That's helpful. I used to work at MIT, so I know I lived in o- Cambridge. He had an office in a, at MIT. Really, where at? Uh, Sloan School of Management. Oh, so yeah, you know, yeah. What, you know where that is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh-oh. Is that... Oh, that's our phone. You want to stop? No. We're going to just okay. let that ring. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, yeah. Hopefully, they'll hang he, that up. He may actually still have it. I'm not sure. He just retired from teaching. Yeah? He wasn't teaching there. He was teaching at UMass. Uh, okay. Lowell, actually. He was a tenured professor. Interesting. At Lowell, but he had a he had an office. He, he did research. I'm going to go pick it up and take it off. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Room service? Yeah. <laughs> I don't That's know why the hotel's calling me. The, uh, my steak dinner's on the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, so you, so you lived in Cambridge. That's where you guys live over there, Brookline. Oh, you, you lived down where, in Brookline. Yeah, yeah. You know where Brookline is. Yeah. So you took the tea around. Tea, yep. The tea was right there. It's awful. Oh yeah, oldest and worst transportation system in America. Yeah. I always tell <laughs> when I, I lived there and. Um, I try to explain to people like it's a. You think Boston's huge? It's a. It's the colony. It's like two feet across. It's a small. It's a tiny little town. And uh, yet the transportation is awful. Well, it's it's old. Yeah. I mean, it's really old, and it's one of the worst cities for driving that you can imagine. Yeah. Horrendous. Yeah. Uh, it's not awful. built for cars at all. No. Uh, it's it's a larger city if if you know you know. Neighborhoods like Dorchester, yeah, yeah. Uh, Roxbury, yeah. Manipan, it's all big. It's all. Uh, it seems like it's all like small neighborhoods that are all yeah. sort of loosely I connected. I mean, a bit like the way that New York is these boroughs. Yeah. Boston is a bit that yeah. way. I mean, still on a much smaller scale. But, yeah. Um, so how long were you guys there? In Boston? Yeah. They're still there. Uh, they still live in Brookline. So you um, grew up, you went your whole life, that's where you grew up, went to school? From 7 to 18. Yeah. Or so, yeah, so I went from second grade through high school. I went in, in Brookline. Now, were you, like, did you read and write a lot as a kid? Like, what were you like as a kid? Oh, what was I like as a kid? Uh, 
I didn't have many friends. Yeah. Uh, I mostly did art. I mean, that's my main thing. Really? It always has been. Really. Like, what do you mean art? So my wife's an artist, but she's a photographer. Painting and drawing. Really? Yes. So, uh, so as a kid, you were like, sort of internal, like. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was not outgoing, <laughs> in the least. But uh, the the writing thing happened much later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, my father is the biggest reader I know. Mm-hmm. Always had, still has five books going at once. Yeah. So I had that as an example, and uh, but. I was a very indifferent student. I just didn't care. Uh, I, I read books, yeah. but uh, I was resented having to do the homework. I was like a C student. Yeah, but you didn't. You didn't. It wasn't education. It was school. It was the you were reading and painting. You were exploring your own kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was doing my. You just uh, didn't want to sit in school and have somebody say no. I hate for forty five minutes. No, yeah, and uh, I probably I wouldn't have gone to a college if it wasn't for art school. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had no interest, and it's still sort of an open question for me whether that was worth <laughs> a worthwhile expenditure and of time and, and money. Uh, uh, so where did you go to college at? Uh, originally at Parsons School of Design in New York. Uh-huh. For just one semester, I hated it so much that I transferred to the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, and that's how I ended up here. That's how you ended up here. So yeah. what was it about school that drove you crazy, like college? Like, what didn't you like? Same thing. At at Parsons, well, their first-year program was set up kind of like kindergarten where you're stuck with the same kids in every class. Cohort. We call that a cohort. It's horrendous. (laughs) I I don't know what they were thinking, but I didn't make any friends, and I didn't like most of my professors. New York was kind of fun, but uh, I I couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah. Uh, I had to leave. Uh, Yeah, Chicago was better. The Art Institute was better, but... Uh, the other thing I had going in Chicago was that I had a living girlfriend and mm-hmm. I had a home life. So it was sort of, I had this whole home life that had nothing to do with school. So I went to school, t- took my classes and came home. Didn't go to any art parties. I, I didn't have that whole co- college rah-rah crazy experience yeah. really. Uh, I was all about just doing my work and going home. <laughs> and so uh, so what kind of work were you doing? Like what's the, like what were you just uh, perspe- perceptual painting, like figure painting. Yeah. Uh, working from life. It's still what I do most. Yeah. Like, before I came here, I was just at the cultural center, the Chicago Cultural Center, hanging out in this room, uh, painting people. Really? There. Yep. And oh, kind of eavesdropping on their conversations. So what drew, what, what do you think um, drew you to that? Were you just, did you just always think visually or see, like? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember ever not drawing. It's It's how I interact with the world. Yeah. It's sort of I, I sit there and I, I watch it and I draw it, and I listen. Uh, Do you think it's because you came here and didn't speak natively initially? Could be part of it. No, but I, I was I was already you were drawing. doing that back in I was, uh, yeah. You just came out that way. I guess so. <laughs> uh, I guess so. Uh, I'm sort of tracing that back these days as part of this whole immigrant narrative, uh-huh. immigrant memoir thing. Will also be about how became an artist yeah basically. it's it, they my, went together my sister is a um concert was she was trained as a concert pianist mm-hmm. and um it is she actually teaches math now to high school because obviously math and, and music are mm. very much tied to, together um but it is like and i'm a writer and we mm. sort of just always did that like that was i narrate the world mm. very much like an author like i see whatever's happening and yeah. i always think in that perspective and I know that my my sister. So you make up you make up stories about it, or I do, and I also draw like 
oh, this is the end of this chapter, and I will, oh. this will never, you know what I mean? Like, things sort of <laughs> come to an end. Oh, yeah, see, I, I don't do that. Uh, and I only got into writing because of this job I had, which was driving a cab. My first job out of art school was I moved back to Boston and became a cab driver. And people would get in and just unload their whole days and lives on me, and I couldn't make them sit for a portrait because they had places to go. <laughs> so I had to figure out some other way to process that, to, to write it. I had to write it down. Yeah. And I actually didn't write it down until about three years after I quit driving in Boston. I moved back to Chicago, and I made this little zine. This is before computers or anything. I was really late to computers. I went to Kinko's and cut and pasted this thing. You did like the hardcore old school oh, yeah, thing. The, the real cut and paste, yeah, yeah. which, you know, most people these, these kids today don't know. These kids today. <laughs> yep. There was tape and there was a typewriter. Yeah. And, and uh, fucking misspellings just stay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> X'd out. Yeah. I still do it. If, if you look at my website now, uh, it's all put together with a manual typewriter scanned in. Is it really? With hotspots. Yep. DimitriSamarov.com. Check it out. That's it's amazing. been going for. Uh, going on 11 years now. Uh, so did you just do it yourself? Like, was it a zine, or did you get your friends, like, were they putting it together, too? Oh, no, it was just me. It was, yeah. And it was called Hack, which is short for Hackney Carriage, uh-huh. the old uh, name for a taxi. Interesting. Because in Boston, the license was called a Hackney yeah. Carriage License. Yeah. That so you went to the police, and they issued this thing. Uh, and which is shortened oftentimes to the Hack License, right? Hack, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, most people these days don't know that. That's what I know it as. One of the million, well, you you know it, but most people don't know that one of the million uh, definitions of the word hack is uh, a cab driver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Although I didn't put that together with the memoir. Yes. Because I think in terms of yeah, computers. <laughs> it's computers or as like a hack writer. Like yeah. Writer. It's so it's, it's a great word because <laughs> it means many different things to many different people. So how do you, how do you end up as a cab driver? How, uh, well, uh, in 1992, uh, I got my girlfriend to teach me how to drive. I didn't know how to drive. I was militantly against it. <laughs> I lived in cities all my life. Right. There's no need. But And Boston really is. I mean, let's be honest. It is a death trap for anybody It's driving. horrible. That, it's, that's where I grew up. But this was in yeah. Chicago, and the reason I got her to teach me how to drive was I had a, an interview to go to grad school for painting at Yale, mm-hmm. and one of the requirements was to bring all your paintings to the interview. And so I had to drive her car from Chicago to New Haven uh, filled with paintings, and I didn't know how to drive. I had to learn. This is why I learned to, to drive. A, cut to a year later, I, I graduated, didn't get into Yale, which was fine. Because you uh, hated school. Uh it, that, <laughs> the place is so depressing. <laughs> New Haven's just a horror. Yeah, show. right. Uh, in any case, I'm back in Boston. Uh, I graduated, newly graduated with my Bachelor of Fine Arts uh, from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, knowing that it would qualify me to wait tables, basically. <laughs> right. And I was looking through the want ads. I was staying with my parents a couple of months before I found my own place. And it said drivers wanted, and I thought, well, I know how to drive. <laughs> a couple of months, a couple of weeks later, I was a cab driver. Really? Yes. So it was just a way to not wait tables. Yes. Yeah. It's, when Absolutely. I moved to Austin um, in two, uh, 95, it was the first job that I looked up. But then I realized nobody in Austin took a cab, so that would have been a Yeah, Austin job. Would, would probably be a hard place to. Yeah, you just drive around. You would make no goddamn money. Yeah. But uh, whenever I didn't want to take the T in Boston, 
Yeah, I well, was in Canada. There's a lot time. of advantages. Uh, tons of college students. Yeah. And uh, public transportation stops at 12.30 or 1. All yes. of it does. Yes, it does. Uh, so anybody that goes out to a bar right. is stuck. And, yes. I mean, if they're smart and not driving. so right. And yeah. nobody drives in the prop improper. Like, it's just. Well, they do badly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Terrible drivers in Boston. Yeah. Horrible. It's uh, the only place that I've ever been where, like, you'll be going down a road and all of a sudden it's just fucking one way and the other way with no sign that says, like, don't go down. It's amazing. Yep. It's just. I spent a lot of my time uh, in the cab giving out-of-town directions because where they needed to go was two blocks away. But in order to get there, they'd have to go, like, five blocks yeah. the other way. <laughs> yeah. Made no damn sense at all. Uh, I realized that one day when I got, I did one of the T-stops where you take, mm-hmm. like, I took the green to whatever. Mm-hmm. And 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 by the time I got to where I was going, when I went upstairs, I could actually see the first stop that I got off of. And I'm like, sure. I was underground for 20 minutes, and I've gone nine yeah, fucking maybe, feet. Maybe that's why people there are such assholes. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's Boston's a, a rarely un, unpleasant place to be. It really is. Uh, just on a, for a, as a stranger. Of course, there's nice people if you make sure. friends like anywhere, but. Yeah, uh, my tension level always goes up, and I'm sort of famous for talking shit about Boston at, yeah. at, this, at this point. But it's just—it's amazing. Yeah, uh, it took me a while when I first got to Chicago to understand why, you know, people would say hello and thank you, and <laughs> that was normal. I thought I was being stalked. Right. Uh, I didn't understand. <laughs> so it's great to be here. Uh, yeah, just on average, it's just—it's just, a lot easier to live. Yeah. So people are packed very tight. It's a small place, and people are. Te- packed tight together. Yeah. It's generally true of the East Coast, but especially Boston. Yeah, because uh, it's such yeah. a big city. I mean, it's a it's a city. It's not like Providence or. And I also did, I was just in Providence. I drove. It's an hour north. I had no idea. I lived in Boston for three, yeah. two years. I had no idea. Um, and that's also a depressing place. That was like, it's 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 got its own thing. Uh, yeah, but it's sort of Boston Junior. Yeah, Providence is Boston Junior. Yeah, and there was just, south. Yeah, just south. Only with yeah. or south, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, only with nothing happening. <laughs> and like the college was walled off, I felt like I went. Oh, into, you went to Brown, or no? I went to Providence. Oh, Providence, the uh, college. Oh, the college. Oh. Yeah, and like if there was like big walls and a gate around. There's, also, uh, there's a big art school there, and there's Brown University yeah. there. So there's some stuff, but uh, you have to know where it is. Yeah, uh, which I did not. There's a, a weird music scene, or there used to be like a in fucked out, up out. little places. There's always some weird music. Like that's I feel yeah. like that's the way in sure. which people respond. Yeah, like Baltimore's got one too. Yeah, uh, Baltimore's in another interesting city. But so you we talk shit about another city. Is yeah, there, yeah, is I'm, there another one we don't like? I'm actually showing my wife <laughs> The Wire right now. Where I'm, I've oh, just yeah. introduced her to The Wire. Sure. Uh, so um, she's yeah. getting that version of it. So That's you're the best a, TV show ever, right? Isn't it? <laughs> it, it? It's up there. The uh, first two seasons are pretty much perfect. Yeah. They well, can, it's that. Yeah, it's one of those shows that. Yeah, uh, made it that where it showed that a TV show could be art or literature. It's it basically it works like literature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there's so much more of that now where these, yeah, long form TV shows mm-hmm. that, that tell a story over time and unfold. Yeah, uh, yeah. That seems to be the way things are going. I love the second season because it ends with. The, basically, the investigation is a total wash. Like nobody really gets put in jail. Like it's, the, you know what I mean. Like it's not like a oh, and then the heroes came. like it just sort of the season ends and you're like fucking nothing really happened. Yeah. But it was it held me the whole. I thought yeah, that's good. <laughs> when it ends and you're like oh, the heroes kind of fucked up at every step of the way. Yeah, 
so you're a cab driver in Boston. You yes. just graduated from art school. Yes. You have, you're not a writer, but no. you're dealing with all of these people. Yes. And you have to process it. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? What is it, like? Why do you have to process? Like, or you're just trying to make sense? Well, of them, it, it's in my face. I'm. It's a thing. Imagine doing something 12, 14 hours a day. You know, six, seven days a week. There's no way not that it doesn't have an effect on you. And uh, I mean, mostly back then, I just I did my drawings. I always had a sketchbook. Did all these self portraits in the rear, in the mirror, in the car mirror, and just waiting on cab stands and stuff. And views out the window. I, at that point, I didn't know uh, that I had to deal with it. I mean, I was I was pretty young too. I I started driving a cab when I was twenty three, uh-huh. and uh, so you weren't like bitter yet. No, uh, oh, that's the funny thing. I ended up less bitter than I started. Really? Uh huh. Why? Oh, <laughs> I think after a while, I realized that all these things that people were doing, no matter what kind of asses they were making of themselves. If I put myself in their place, I wouldn't have acted much better or different. So, yeah, uh, for whatever reason, it, it it opened my mind rather than closing it. Uh, so, like, driving a cab made you empathetic? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it made me a little bit more open, uh, a little more uh, charitable towards people, strangely enough. Yeah, I think I was more judgmental when I started. Uh, I can still be pretty fucking judgmental but uh it's built into being an artist uh it, well it's built into being whatever the hell i am but uh <laughs> yeah uh but yeah for whatever reason uh yeah i i judged less at the end than at the beginning uh but yeah when when i first started driving those first three years in boston i had no idea that i had to do something with that i didn't realize that until later i moved back to chicago and it just kept eating at me all these things all these stories, people just get in and launch into their stories. So that's why uh, in around 2000, 2001, I made the zine called Hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was about my first couple of years driving, how I became a cab driver. So I, I find that interesting because I suspect that a lot of people that experience, like I worked third shift at a gas station for like mm-hmm. a summer. You know, sure. 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. And hey, I talked to truckers and shit like that, whoever, you know, yeah. fucked up people that would come in. Yeah. Um, and the th- and I was young, I was nineteen or whatever, mm-hmm. and I always just thought, well, I won't always be doing this, right? Like that was what got yeah. me through was like this is not oh. my life, and so I didn't re- like I don't think I took enough time. Like it didn't ever cross my mind to like this is sort of the narcissism of being young, like listen, oh, and, like yeah. find out their stories. Like did, were you thinking that as you were doing this? Like this is why? How am I a cab driver? Or did you just think, fuck it, that's what I'm doing right now? No, it was it was always just a means to an end. I, I decided, I graduated from art school, and there's sort of two choices. I mean, unless you're somehow become an instant art star, which happens to be you know, 0.001% right. of anybody, it's very hard to make a living doing art in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> so what most people do is they go, into te- they go to grad school, they teach, or they have some day job, and they realize that they'll just do art and then have their day job. And that's what I thought, that they'd be two different things. And I didn't want a day job that uh, taxed me emo- emotionally or mentally. Yeah. And so I I still to this day never had anything but shit service industry jobs. I've never had a straight job. Uh, I've never had a salaried job. Uh, I don't see the point. There's no job for me out there. <laughs> there isn't any job that I'd ever want. 
because what I want is to make a living just doing doing my art. It's still what I want. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm trying to do. So uh, so the zine was what was it? Like your recollections of these stories, or are you mm-hmm. telling stories? It, it was mostly it was mostly illustrations that I did from memory, oh. uh, with like a sentence or two, because I realized that well, I can't tell this all through pictures. So so I gingerly kind of dipped my toe into writing. I'd never done any sort of creative writing or any kind of writing that wasn't a homework assignment. I've never taken a writing class. Yeah. Never had that as an ambition. I like I like reading, but. Uh, you're not opposed to words. No, no, no. Uh, but so I did that. I did a second ish, a second issue of the of the zine, and I figured that would be that. Except that in 2003, I went back to driving a cab now in Chicago, and I revived Hack soon after as a blog because I was dragged into the internet world, and so th- that's where things were happening. It was simpler, and uh, that's how I eventually got into actual writing. And so what was happening on it? Like, did you have a lot of people that were reading it? Or was this a sort of labor of processing for you? Or did it, you it give got a some shit? No, it, it, got, it got some notice fairly, fairly quickly. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how many people actually read yeah. it. Uh, but there's people in the media, like in the Chicago Reader, uh-huh. that noticed it. Called it, like, one of the best blogs at one year or something. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, what I would do would, would be, you know, just to write down the things that kind of struck me, stories or bits of dialogue. and But they all had illustrations, always. They always started with a drawing or a painting. Uh, it's always been that way for me. Like, the the way into the words is through the pictures. Uh, so, I'll, yeah, I mean, I have two books now, and both of them are filled with art. Mm-hmm. There's the artwork, and uh, they're not graphic novels or anything, but... They have these illustrations, and they they kind of feed off each other. Mm-hmm. So, and you said that the blog is still typed; it's still it's hand drawn. It's and then scanned. No, no, the the, the blog was done the more traditional. That was more like it. Okay. <laughs> Although, uh, uh, after a couple of years of the blog, I did another zine, and I typed everything up and did it that way. Uh-huh. And that thing, uh, the, it was sort of like a best of. It was called Hack again. Uh, yeah. That got the attention of... Uh, oh, I bet people fucking love that. Uh, a few people, uh, most notably John Hodgman, who I'd gone to... <laughs> well, I, I went to high school with him. Did so you I really? Yes. We worked in a movie theater. Oh, I just heard him talking about this the other... Not you, but the movie theater. Uh, like the Art House Theater? Yes. Uh, yeah. The, the Mark Marin show? Yeah, yeah. All the people that he talked about are people I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that whole thing. That's where uh, we sort of became friends. But... He came through town on one of his book tours, and I gave him one of these zines, and he mentioned it in some magazine. And that got the attention of somebody at University of Chicago Press, and he eventually pitched it as a book. So I had a really charmed process. First, My first book, I, I was asked to do. Yeah, so writers hate you. I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know that many writers, really. Uh, they do. They I, secretly. I, I don't run in. Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's our first book. My writing partner and I the same way. We had a, a publisher say, like, would you like to do this? And we said, no, we want to do this. And they were like, great. Yeah. So we were like, uh, yeah, I've never written a proposal. <laughs> I mean, by the time by the time uh, they came to me, it, it had been uh, sort of pointed out to me that I had enough stuff that I should be thinking about doing a book. But. I had no in of any kind. Right. Uh, you know, I had Hodgman. 
which was great. Right. You know, so I had a famous friend. Right. Uh, who was very supportive. But other than that, uh, I didn't know anything about publishing. I didn't know. I There's a whole structure, you know, the, that I've come to learn about since. Uh, there's these presses. There's universities. There's agents. Right. It's a whole world that uh, I knew nothing about. Yeah. So it's very, very lucky that they came to me. And I learned on the job kind of. Uh, it took about two years from the time I, I signed the book contract for the book to come out. And that, that book was called Hack, Stories from a Chicago Cab. Uh, came out in 2011. So do you have an agent now? No. Yeah. So see, part Still of no agent. Part of what we do, or part I've of what I've tried. I, really? <laughs> yeah. Since. Not not then. I, I didn't need, I mean. Right. Uh, they just take money at that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, publishing with a university press is not about money. Right. Or an independent press either. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny. It's why we um, part of the reason that we do the thing that I do down in Indianapolis mm-hmm. is because I'm more in c- to control. Like I don't yeah. want it. Like I did. I went with a major publisher. It was sure. great that first one, and yeah. I they were lovely. Like the people were very nice. I yeah. had nothing bad to say about them. But the process, I just that's not how I fucking sure. operate. I like. Yeah. I want to structure things the way I want to. I want them to be the way that, and I still hire copy editors and designers, and sure. by hire people that I want to hire, we distribute it to places where we sure. want to. No, uh, yeah, there's there's definite definite advantages, but I've seen now two versions of this. I haven't seen the big the big publishing house yeah. version, but I've seen the university press version, and I've seen the indie press version, yeah. which are very very different. Yeah, and both have advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, uh, but. I think I was fortunate to have the University Press experience because also University of Chicago Press publishes the Chicago Manual of Style. Yeah. They're like fanatical about editing. Yeah. I didn't know anything about editing <laughs> going in, right. but I learned. <laughs> and so by the time I, I uh, signed with Curbside Splendor for the second book, I knew how and what this book was supposed to be. Yeah. I had friends that were editors that I swapped artwork for for editing with you know uh-huh. so yeah i brought people people that worked on the book before curbside ever saw it yeah it, it was ready to go it had been ready to go for a year i just couldn't find a publisher basically yeah uh and there's something to be said i mean i partic- i would think if you're an I'm, a, I'm not an artist in the way you are but like my wife when she takes pictures she doesn't want anybody she doesn't even want me to see the picture she's taken until she's Curated the ones she's want, got them in the order. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she wants them to. She doesn't want me to see the raw anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's different way. I, I don't mind. I mean, the, that's what the internet's for for me. Really, at this point, I've decided that it's just a it's a rough draft. It's a place totally. sketchbook rough draft. It's it's never really real on the internet. It's not real until it's in my hands. Yeah, I'm old enough that yeah, I need a book or a picture <laughs> or something. I need to hold it in my hand, see it with my own eyes, not on a screen. Uh, but do you still do – but that's for writing. But when you do your art, you do that away from the internet. I'm mean, assuming you're not taking photographs of what you're painting and putting it out there. Uh, well, th- there's plenty of – my paintings, you know, are all over the internet. But uh, but as you're working on them yeah, or after? Yeah, I do really? process ones. I, I like – see, yeah, I'm, I'm different, I guess. I, I like I like watching the process yeah. and how things are made, how things are put together. Yeah, actually, I was doing – Instagram things of progress of this stuff I was doing at the cultural center just this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind that. I think the internet's good for that. Uh, I've, I've t- like, I've taken down the, uh, Chicago hack, the hack 
blog is gone uh, pretty much because there are books. There's no reason for that stuff to be online anymore. Really? Yeah. So it yeah, is taking a taking it down. Uh, I mean, you know, if you're a smart internet person, you can get it, you know. The cash. cash yeah. The cash if you want to. I don't know why you would want to, but, uh, uh, yeah, once once the project is done and completed, then then it's gone, I think. Uh, then my own website sort of functions as an archive. Uh, it's I've gathered as much of my artwork as I can, and there's, I mean, it, it's endless. It's so, it's, it's unwieldy, my <laughs> website, but... Um, it exists as its own sort of weird art project, I guess. Uh, At least now you won't have to put things in your car and drive them to places. You can just no, no, <laughs> no. I, so there's that. Yeah. So what now? So what are you working on now? Like, what's the? There's a couple of things. So this you thing, said the immigrant. Like I'm interested yeah, in this. Yeah, the this immigrant memoir thing, which is, is in bits and pieces of uh, sort of talking to my parents, uh, remembering back. Mm -hmm. uh, is it going to be the same kind of like? pictures or is this going to be straight words no there's going to be images but it's probably going to be a mix of uh sort of children's art f photographs uh -huh. relics kind of uh and, and and words uh there there will definitely have to be images in it i, I don't really know how to do it otherwise uh, uh so you'll be constructing new images and stuff not just pulling stuff from you or you don't know that i don't know if there if there should be new images yet i haven't gotten that far in yeah it, uh <laughs> What's interesting, because I am, uh, so my family's infamous in, like, came to Boston in 1624. Oh, all right. First gunsmiths in Pennsylvania settled what the New York Times uh, just called. You know, it's being interviewed by Paul Revere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, more like the people that, that the bodyguards that shot people that tried to mess with oh, Paul okay. Revere. Like, we were those people. Like, uh, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but so the New York Times just called Clay County the hardest place to live in America. They did a big oh. study of, and my family founded that place. Where's Clay County? Kentucky. Oh, okay. So I'm also working on a story about. I was going to say, there's no way that accents from Boston. No, no. <laughs> in fact, when I showed up at MIT, there were quite a few like, uh, yeah. <laughs> particularly when I was like, yeah, I work at Technology Review, and they were like, ah. As the janitor? Because <laughs> they assumed what the, the twang meant you're dumb? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, it's, when, I go so to, stupid. when I go to Europe... People are so fucking stupid. Right. When I go to Europe, <laughs> 10 points on my IQ go up. Yeah. When I go to the coast, 10 points on my IQ goes down. Right. Uh, it's that's, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, except for when I'm in Europe. Then I love it. I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, this is fucking... I'm like every... And when I wear my cowboy hat, they're like, fuck, you're the walking embodiment of what we... <laughs> We expect America to be. Yeah. Um, but it's – so my story, the story that I'm telling is it basically trying to answer the question that all my coastal friends ask me, which are why do those people from where you're from vote against their self-interest, right? You oh, always hear them like – Sure. So there's actually some historical reasons why that place has developed the way it is. And, yeah. and my family happens to have three or 400 years of special collect they, – they they're, they're documented back to uh -huh. England. So I can tell the story. Yeah. So it's a lot of, um, as a writer, I've, I'm going through and I have all these documents and these things that have been drawn and mapped. And I'm trying to construct the narrative in a way that answers that question while it tells a story without a, being a lecture. Yeah. Right? Like, this is the sort of, I think, problem with these kinds of stories. How yeah. do you convey? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I've been, over the last year or two, I've been reading a ton of various uh, memoirs, especially, mm -hmm. and 
immigrant ones in particular. Yeah. Uh, Which ones? Well, the 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 the, Rush, the Soviet kid ones were uh-huh. coming out. Like the the most prominent being uh, Little Failure, uh-huh. uh, Gary Steingart's book. Uh, but there's there's other ones and there's novels too. There's more and more because these people have come of age. Yeah. The big flood from the Soviet Union was, you know, at the end of the Soviet Union in the late 80s. Yeah. So most of the books coming out are those people. Yeah. Uh, Have you read Stasi Land, which is not? Uh-uh. Oh, my God. Anna Funder wrote this book, and she's Australian, and she goes to East Germany. Obviously, it's not East Germany anymore, yeah. but what is? And she writes she, – what she uh-huh. does is she just goes around and interviews people and writes these, like, vignettes of people about their life living in East Berlin. Sure. And it's so, but she doesn't get into the geopolitics. She doesn't. Yeah. It's just, and they're la- it's almost like Faulkner in that each chapter is a different person. But she, but it's one person. But they'll be in five sections like, yeah. as she's going between them. So it's sort yeah. of her journey. Yeah. She interviews like the head of propaganda. Mm. She interviews like just the landlady. She found the there's a rock star, biggest band in East yeah. Berlin. Uh, but then they started speaking out. Yeah. And they took all their records and fucking destroyed sure. them. So they, like, became persona non grata. Yeah. Except for that a couple of the records got yeah. taken to the West. And so people in the West would would sit on the other side of the wall and blast the music back in. Sure. But so, but it's 30 years, 20 years later. Yeah. So she's writing the story of – and it is not exactly – that. it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Just in understanding, like, how do you tell that narrative, right? Yeah. It's an untellable narrative. Yeah, like this sort of yeah. I'm trying to figure it out, uh, and I, my, I mean, my sort of whatever my angle on it, and my uh, whatever it is, my author's voice or whatever yeah. you want to call it, is different than than some of these books that I've read. So that's not going to be a problem. But I don't want it to be this. There's a million of these books where you know I'm. The, the kid comes from the other country and has trouble fitting in, and then, right. then they transcend and blah 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 blah. Right, it's fucking boring. It's behind uh, the yeah, BH one shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's just yeah, story of uplift. Right, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, there may be some uplift in in, in my book, but uh, it's not it's not going to be like that. Right, uh, because it's it. What's what is fascinating to me is I. So my favorite authors write about. The underbelly of the American dream, right? Like sure. it's from Nathaniel Hawthorne to. Have you read uh, Harry Crew's memoir, uh, Childhood: uh, Biography no. of a Place? No, uh, one of the, one of the best ones I've ever read. Amazing! Really? Like growing up dirt poor, uh, Florida and Georgia. It's, if, you, if you've ever read any Harry Crews, I don't know. If you know he's a good writer, but uh, but it's uh, that kind of. It's. I mean, it's well. He's a novelist, so the way he writes memoir is like, like a novelist would. It's yeah. great. It's amazing. Also, uh, what's the other one I read that I really liked this year? Uh, Martin Amos's uh, Experience, uh-huh. which is also a memoir about his father, who was a prominent writer and all sorts of stuff. But yeah. he had, he has quite a life. Is that um, the kind of stuff that you gravitate to when you think about your voice for this? I don't know yet. Uh, I mean, primarily so far, uh, where writing goes, uh, I've uh, depended on uh, ob- just observation and mm-hmm. uh, memory, and it, it's got nothing. I've tried to keep myself out of it. Yeah, uh, 
as a character and as you know it's I don't write it I'm not a confessional writer I don't write about feelings right. uh, <laughs> I'm I try to be pretty strictly an observer but this is different because I'm dealing with memory right it's primarily memory so I'm more comfortable where like like I'm talking to my parents yeah, yeah. and asking them what it was like and there I, I can stand outside of it mm-hmm. but the other stuff where I have to remember uh, what I was like, uh, what my life was like, it's different. So that's part of the challenge for me with this. Yeah. Uh, How to get distance on my own experience because I, I need the distance in order to write about it clearly. Yeah. Well, and like about it clearly as I am working on, because there are parts of me in the memoir, but I I keep stripping them out because it's the, um, the title has sort of shifted, but it, it now is called, uh, uh, an American mythology, uh-huh. right? Because now it's because what I had to do was sort of take me. I'm like nobody gives a shit about me. Like my mom cares, I care. Nobody else cares about my part it's of that story. Great family history memoir, kind of book called The Distancers by Lee Sandlin, who's a local author. But yeah, you should look that one up. I That's will. Another really good one. He's I'm, he's an amazing. You should get him to do. Uh, he's an incredible storyteller. He's like Mark Twain. You just really? sit back and watch. He's he's killer. I love. He's it. written a few books. Uh, uh, one called something about storm storm chasers. Uh, I forget now. He's written several books, but the distancer is, is a favorite of mine. So, do you um, when you're writing, when you're thinking about this stuff, uh-huh. uh, do you go out and do a lot of re- like? Are you go get the pile of books and say, okay, I'm going to try to work some of this out by reading how people do it, or are uh, you just a reader? I'm just a reader, uh, but this is this is the first time where I felt like I needed to see. If for no other reason than by like negative example, mm-hmm. what to cross off, or it's more about I'm, I'm trying to figure out what kind of structure, where I start, where I end this thing, yeah. uh, and how others have done it. Uh, so I, I needed some pointers, but yeah, mostly I read these books because I want to read them. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I've never been a much of a researcher. <laughs> exactly, I'm more of a firsthand experience. You see that way. Uh, yeah, I go I go places and I sit and I listen, and I watch I, I draw and overhear things. Like one of the good things about uh, you know, technology these days, like text messages, Twitter and stuff, you can use it to. I've used it for years to take notes, <laughs> snatches of conversation. The stuff ends up in in my writing. Yeah, uh, because uh, nailing the way that people talk is really really important. I think. So you you strike me. This is my store psychologist because you said you don't write about emotion but you strike me as somebody that is extremely internal and aware of what's happening around you well i'm I'm the guy in the corner that just uh looks like he's just off to himself but all i do is listen yeah Uh, but in order to do that i have to not participate yeah that's well that's as i see it that's what an artist does it's sort of artists writers uh have to stand apart at least a bit in order to see the whole scene, mm-hmm. see what's actually happening. If you're inside of the scene, you can't can't see the whole picture ever. Yeah. I mean, nobody ever sees the whole picture, but uh, you have to be apart from it. And for whatever reason, uh, my personality or my history uh, has lent me that or yeah. given me that uh, quote-unquote gift. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it, you do, it seems like... Um, just sort of watching you interact with the room, like it is 
Like, you seem to be taking it in. I can imagine people think that it is disinterest on your part. Yeah. But I see it as the opposite of that. Like, it's – and only, I think, because I'm married to a woman that is like board, that. Like, uh, like everything. Parties are the worst for me. Like, I can't where, – where I've been invited to, I yeah. can't wait to leave because I don't know what I'm supposed to pay attention yeah. to. And I just shut down after yeah. a while. And it overwhelms you, right? Yeah, or I stare out the window yeah. or I get a book and I'm horrible. I'm like – I like on a personal level in a group. I'm just I'm I'm a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> but see, and to yeah. me, like it was it wasn't until I married my wife, and like we will go out to places like that, and she'll come home and like pass out, yeah. and she's like, yeah, be, sensory overload. It's uh, the world affects her, and yeah, most people just assume I'm just an asshole. Yeah, which yeah. I, I probably am. Yeah. But, uh, one does not belie the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> but mostly it's yeah, it's it's sort of extreme, some sort of social. Uh, Retardation, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I've pro- uh, anxiety and problems with sure. it. I don't know how to feel comfortable in a group, yeah, almost ever. Uh, and yeah, I'm much more comfortable being set apart and being left alone. <laughs> well, and it's way. interesting then that the one on one I do fine like this. Even yeah. if we didn't have these microphones on, we could probably have a conversation. Uh, not a small talk conversation. I'm no good at those. Right. But uh, if there was a subject, if there was actually something to talk about, yeah. I, I could probably hold my own. But, uh, yeah, normal, like what, what's easy for the average person is totally like a Mount Everest to me. Yeah. Which is banter, chit-chat. Bullshit. Uh, small, yeah, small yeah. talk, n- no good. Ridiculous. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but but instead of that, what you would do is, again, this is just the observation is that, and I've just now known enough people like that, that, like, it is probably mistaken as something that it's not. It seems yeah. to me that you are hyper aware of the world that's around you, and yeah. so the cab thing actually makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know that going in, and it wasn't sure. one of those. Uh, like, I'm going to be a cab driver. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not a, like, Diablo Cody, like, yeah. going to become a stripper sure. for experience. Yes. Uh, a, because I had no uh, intention of writing anything. And uh, B, I've, I've never been that calculated. Yeah. Uh, You're an artist. But, but I discovered that whatever, that was a really good job to sort of be a voyeur and t- an eavesdropper yeah. uh, because a cab driver is not really a person to most people. Sure. It's part of the scenery. Like like a bus driver, uh, you're you're performing a service, a utility, yeah. uh, and the back of your head is to them. So they, they're free to say whatever they want. It was the first season of Sherlock. If you've seen the BBC Sherlock, no, one of the killers no. is a cab driver, and he gives almost exactly that speech, which is nobody thinks of the cab driver. Yes. But everybody talks to the cab driver. Mm-hmm. And, and you know where they all live. Right. And, yeah, if, and they willingly give it it's over. It's a really good cover for a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that show, but it totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the I, British one, not the U.S. one. I, I've always been – I was always baffled by how naive and trusting the average passenger was – in a certain way, with a cat, like unloading all these secrets, and then, I mean, I, I get invited up to people's houses, or like I never went, but uh, proposition, all sorts of things. But because you have to ask, what kind of fucking weirdo just does that? Just thinking. Well, there's a lot of loneliness and right. uh, inebriation involved. I worked a lot of late nights. So <laughs> that explains a lot of it. But loneliness. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to invite a total stranger uh, who you know nothing about, and totally uh unload all your secrets to and then invite them to your house 
Yeah. yeah if, if, if I was the wrong kind of person, and yeah. there are wrong people driving cats for sure, <laughs> like in every job. But uh, Instead, they just showed yeah, up in a book. <laughs> yeah, horrible things happen. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, my... The, the the reason, the way I was able to do it was that I didn't know any of these people's names. Right. So I didn't have to ask. It wasn't like Taxi Cab Confessions. Where right. You have to right. ask for releases, and then it becomes a performance. Right. And it becomes fake, like all of the reality shows. Yeah. And, you know. Everything. Scripted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my stuff was never scripted, and there was no story arcs. There was all these, just these fragments. Yeah. And I had to organize it into some sort of whole that's Which a book has, you know, a book has a beginning, middle, and an end. Yeah, and th- that was a particular challenge, out of where you're putting bits of real life into this, in into this artifice, right? A book, uh, and that was a challenge because, yeah, somebody told me. I think I was it was Hodgman actually. I think that, you know, un- unlike uh, fiction, real story isn't beginning and uh, middle end. It's all middle, right? It's all middle, right? Especially when you you only interact with somebody for fifteen twenty minutes. Well, and David Foster, I say this in every interview, yeah. but David Foster Wallace said, like, the more you write, the more you realize fiction and nonfiction are the same thing. Because Probably, if because what you see is not actually what's happening; it's just what you see. But there yeah. are other things happening that you aren't catching, and yeah. so you're then putting this sort of artificial beginning and end on a thing that doesn't have that, and yeah. that is in some ways fictionalizing. The, Probably the reality. Probably. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's much more intelligent people that have got a better handle on that yeah. than I do. All I know is uh, I'm not. I work from life. Uh, the sort of invention of like faraway worlds and uh, beginnings and ends right. don't interest me at all. Right. So, but I have to. You know, but a, things a, a, have a, to start, and they yeah, <laughs> you yeah, have to be people over. Don't have infinite time <laughs> right. to de- deal with my shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> they have 100 or 200 pages, not 10 million. Uh, so, yeah, I have to put arbitrary stops on right. it, I guess. Not arbitrary, but... Uh, They're decisions. You have to yeah. make a decision. But, yeah, in the last few years, uh, so I've, I've been working with a filmmaker to hopefully turn this whole cab thing into a TV show. Really? fictionalized TV show. Scripted. Totally different than what I do, but watching him write screenplays of these of these episodes has been remarkable because... What he does and what fiction writers do is totally 100% different than yeah. what I do. Right. It's a whole – I can't yeah. even imagine. I don't think I'll ever do that yeah. because I don't know how they do it. I listen to podcasts all the time. It's great with writers. Yeah. It's fantastic to hear about what they do and they plot out these things and they have ideas. And I have no ideas. Yeah. I don't work with ideas. I, I have pieces of observations and I try to organize them or find the right words to to describe them. That's all I ever do. Yeah. Uh, the, my few attempts at fiction and screenwriting have been fucking disaster. It's yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, uh, complete respect for for that whole yeah. process, but I have no idea where I'd even start. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, thank you for coming in. Absolutely, uh, this is great. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. Where where can they find your stuff? Where can they find the books? Uh, well, my my artwork you can find at dmitrysamarov.com. D M I T R Y. We'll have that link on the site. R O V dot com. You can find uh, my books anywhere books are sold. Uh, <laughs> uh, the new book, uh, Where to a Hack Memoir, you can buy directly from Curbside Splendor uh, and other fine online and terrestrial retailers. I can't wait to get my. I'm in the, I'm finishing Bill's 
Bill Hillman's book oh, yeah. in the neighborhood, and then you, you are enjoying that. I am. I was just telling Ben, it is thick. It is. It uh, is. I actually, I reviewed it for the Tribune. Really? Yeah. Uh, I, I barely met uh, Bill, but uh, yeah, I, I got sucked into that book, and I, I enjoyed it very I'm much. about 60% through because I read things digitally, and I told Ben, I, I don't know where it's going, but <laughs> I haven't. You know, it's just like kids running around right now. There's not yeah, a yeah, – yeah. but I trust them writing a narrative enough to know that I'm going to get somewhere. I just don't know where that is right now. Well, and yeah, you'll be interested in talking to Amy. That, all that stuff, well, a lot of it comes from, from reality. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming because it's so thick. Like, that was not made up. That is very clearly no. from – What I really appreciated as a somebody who spent a lot of years in Chicago is he really nails details of the particular neighborhood that right. he's talking about. And anybody that's passed through that knows that stuff, and he gets it absolutely yeah. right. It's, and it's a, it's funny because if it's ever a movie, yeah. it'll be short because so much of it is describing the stuff, <laughs> right? Like it's yeah. giving that sense and reality that there's not a lot of action because the neighborhood is yeah. – the, the environment is – a character. Well, there's a lot of. I mean, there, there, there's there will be more things that ha- that will happen. There are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, right now it's a lot of fighting between yeah, the kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's what I mean. Like it's, but it's the environment that's making that. It's just like it's like the wire. Like the different corners and things matter, and what their characteristics yeah. are matter. Yeah, I'm very interested in that in that stuff with with writing and with artwork, place and with specificity. Yeah, in that way is totally important. I've gotten criticism in, in the past. There's been some reviews where, like, why, why is he naming uh, street names and corners and stuff? But, but I don't – I think the way to the universal is through the particular – Specific, right, yeah. Specific, yeah. not the other way around. No, absolutely. And sure, okay, if, if you live in East Bumfuck and don't know Chicago, you won't know those street corners, but you will know another street corner. Right. And it should ring true right. uh, if, if I'm doing it right. Right, right. Yeah. I always tell my young writers, like, it, it, don't as try particular to – As particular as possible. Yeah, don't that, be grand. Be tiny. Yeah, don't make you know big statements. Uh, yeah, that yeah that. <laughs> a dog dying is not the same as you telling a story about the day your dog died. Right, like exactly. it, that's this. There's no that's, that's it. Well said. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. Yeah. All thanks right. A lot. Have a good day. Cool. Well, there you have it. That was my interview with Dimitri. Got a little Mark Marin, John Hodgman in there at the end. I just listened to that interview the other day when I was driving to Pittsburgh. So that was great. He started talking about that. I almost jumped out of my chair. I love the fact that so many people in the world, particularly creative people, are connected to other folks. And the older that I get and the more I'm around that, the less it surprises me. But it's always just I got excited because I just listened to that the other day. So he was talking about the movie theater that um, he and John Hodgman worked at. Make sure you go get his books and go to his website, which I have linked on the page. It's amazing. It looks like a zine. If you don't know what a zine is, fucking Google that. Look it up. Those of us who came of age in that time, love that. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. You can find out about the next Downtown Writers Jam Volume 3 in February. It's a fundraiser with our friends at Indie Literary Pub Crawl. Read the blogs. You can buy our books. Otherwise... I'll see you around the internet.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.